Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of We Should Have Recorded That with Phil and Adam. Ad- Hello. <laughs> I'm, I'm really learning my name. If nothing else, this podcast has reinforced my, my, my label, my name, Adam. Yes, that's, I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to help you connect more with that. So. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. I didn't realize yeah. that was your ultimate goal, but now that I've uncovered your ulterior motives, right? I'm sorry. I d- I shouldn't have I shouldn't have revealed that to you. I've messed up. But anyway, let's, let's, I just, so everyone, we're so excited that you are listening. I we, I looked at I was checking the stats on our last episode, and we are you know we're about at twenty listens. Um, and so thank you everyone who's, uh, wait, who's is that 20 listens just of episode six? Yeah. Yeah. We, oh, I think we had, we that's had. good. I mean, we're recording this only three days after it was released. That's like yeah. 20 divided by three <laughs> equals like six. Almost seven. Eight. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> she has spoken. Should we introduce our guest it. now? I'm sorry. We, I guess we can't. So we, it's not weird. Like we're just talking to ourselves. <laughs> All right. Well, let's I put ruined it. This it. Way. No, no, Jeanette, you did not ruin it. All right. Dear listeners, this <laughs> is the very first guest star on Ooh. the cert. We should have recorded that. And her name is Jeanette Labar. Hi, Jeanette. Hello, Adam and Phil. Hey. <laughs> it's really good <laughs> to have you with us. Uh, we're going to more formally introduce Jeanette with her bio in just a few moments, but we might as well uh, let her be a part of our antics here as we, we talk we about our, uh, you know, our listeners and how they can engage with us. Phil, yes. how can our listeners engage with us? So everyone, you can subscribe, comment, share, and like and follow at um, WSRTWPA. So that's basically... <laughs> that's a bunch of random <laughs> letters. <laughs> WSRTWPA, Holly, Ivy, woo, pineapple. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> I, I was trying to, I was trying to figure it out. So we're sir, we're sir, whoop. That's that So this is an acronym. This we is our acronym. Should have recorded that with Phil Adam. Yes. Wassert Wapa. <laughs> okay, that's so, really catchy. I hope I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason we have this new username, Wassert Wapa. Yes, it's because, because we're everywhere. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. We're on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us. You type that in. You will be able to find us on Facebook. That's and right. Instagram. Type it in. It will only take you three or four months <laughs> to get through all the letters. <laughs> you just have to think about it. We, we should have recorded that. <laughs> With Phil Adam. With yeah. Sir Pa. Yes. Yes, you should. I mean, and then fate, and then YouTube. Just type in the title, and you can find us. Um, so yeah, find find us, and also on Anchor, you can also go go there, and and it will take you to these various sites and platforms to listen. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm glad so many people are engaging with us. Hopefully, um, we'll start getting some comments, and uh, people we can yes. share those. I told my housemate 
this week that he has to. Yeah, like, like condition of his lease is that he has to listen <laughs> to an episode and send us a voice comment. So at okay. least we'll get one voice comment coming we'll up because one. I've coerced my tenant. Well, good. Maybe <laughs> maybe I can try that on Wendy. I don't know if it will work. Oh yeah. But I could try that on Wendy. So I hear the best marriages are built on lots of conditions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. So let's um so next week as so today was our first is our first interview and we're getting off to a great start having our guests sit here and listen to us. And next week <laughs> <laughs> She understands though. Jeanette, do you understand? Absolutely, I understand. I mean, we have, the, we have the advantage that Jeanette knows both of us, so she yes. knew to expect I completely this. understand that the first 10 minutes is going to be a total waste of my time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so watching true. the clock. We're not quite at 10 minutes <laughs> Yeah, Jeanette, 5 minutes and 50 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, 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 I'll speed it along. Next week... <laughs> Oh, but this is actually, seriously, this is exciting. Next week, we have another guest star. Phil, you got to yes. tell us about her. Yes, yes. My, my, my friend that I've known for a very long time, Asia Wiggins, she wrote an article, um, Ode to Black Men. And I, I read it, and I was like, man, this was really, was really good. She, she's, uh, um, she's a poet, and, uh, and if you read that article, and we'll link it for next week, if you read that article, you can hear the poetry in that. Um, and so next week, we'll talk to Asia Wiggins. But that's next week. This week, Adam. This week. This week. Yeah. 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 This week, we are honored to have Jeanette Labar with us. Jeanette has a bachelor's degree from the school that I teach at and the school Ooh. that Phil graduated from, Roberts Wesleyan College. Uh, a master's degree in music education from Roberts Wesleyan College, and she recently completed her Master of Arts degree in music leadership from the Eastman School of Music here in Rochester, New York. Some of the highlights of her work, um, she held an internship at the Aspen Music Festival and School, working in general management and operations. She was the founder and director of the West Side Chamber Orchestra. I mean, she truly has an entrepreneurial spirit, which is part of the reason we wanted to get her on to this podcast for the sake of our listeners. She is a board member of the Chehi Summer School of Music, uh, which I have taught for for a number of summers now. She has been a college professor at various institutions and a K through 12 music teacher for a number of years. And most recently, she has been living the life of a freelance art media specialist helping classical music musicians to gain traction online, which is especially relevant during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so now that I've shared all of the, the amazing, uh, not all of, some of the amazing <laughs> aspects of Jeanette's biography, I think, Phil, we should tell our audience how each of us knows her. Phil, how do you know Jeanette Labar? Yeah, so I, I met Jeanette, she, she taught music history and I think that was where I first, well, we, I mean, we interacted the most and we interacted the most 
um, at Robertson. So like that's how I we got to know each other. Jeanette, was he a good music history student? Absolutely, <laughs> one of the best. Are you only saying that because we're no. recording this for posterity? No, he paid attention and took notes and did I his did. homework. And, and that uh, made him one of the best. He actually, <laughs> no, I, well, yes. But no, I think, uh, I think how he connected, what we connected actually was talking about faith matters yeah. after, yes. after class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. trying to steer him away from Calvinism. <laughs> but that's a whole other the- you have Podcast. quite the counterbalance in one of his other yes. professors. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm talking about myself, dear listeners. <laughs> and oh, yeah. how do I know you, Jeanette? Well, you and I, for a time, were undergraduate students together. Indeed. Are you a year older or a year younger than I am? Uh, I don't think we were in the same class. I don't class. know. I'm I think 35. I'm older. I'm 36. Okay, so you're a year older. So, yes, we were for a time students in uh, the same undergraduate school. And then um, our paths just like they keep converging because then several years later, I mean, a number of years later, really, we were both teaching together at the Chahi Summer School of Music. And then several years really after that. So we saw each other periodically during the summers. Mm -hmm. And then several summers after that, uh, or several years after that, I moved to Rochester, where you now are, and we were colleagues at Roberts. Right. So God just keeps our trajectories intertwined. We'll just have to be friends. <laughs> That's a good thing I like you. <laughs> yes, you got to figure it out. <laughs> uh, I love it. All right. So, Jeanette, thanks for being with us today. Would you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in arts organization leadership? Sure. Well, first, let me say, it's an honor to be your first guest. I've we been enjoying... We couldn't be more thrilled. Right, Yes. Phil? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel very privileged. Um, so my interest in leadership really, I guess, started because I had some friends and colleagues tell me that they thought I would make a good administrator. Um, and that was, that came at a really important time in my life when I was really questioning which way to go. I have been putting off getting a doctorate now for (laughs) a decade. So I'll just um, say as as someone who has one, keep putting it off. Yeah. (laughs) Avoid it at all costs. That's my plan. (laughs) Um, and so that, that was one major reason. Uh, Another reason was I had a series of complicated bosses (laughs) Mm. and I really thought, you know, maybe we need training in leadership to be leaders, um, which I I think is helpful. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think the third really major reason I went this direction was I, you know, the pursuit of conducting, um, I love conducting. I love the mm-hmm. repertoire of orchestral, well, all repertoire, but wind and orchestral yeah. and choral, of course. Um, oh, you'd, yeah, that's right. You'd obviously like choral music. 
For our uh, audience, I've got to say, and this is not just because she's here and I'm looking at her face on our Zoom call. This is because it's the truth. Jeanette is a really terrific conductor. Oh, thank you. Actually, I want to talk a little bit about the musician as leader, but keep keep sure. telling us what you're telling us. Right. So in my pursuit of uh, conducting, learning conducting, I had a teacher, Don Schleicher, who encouraged conductors, his students, to read books on leadership. Mm. And uh, I thought, wow, that's interesting. wonder why he wants us to do that. And then, you know, the more you learn about conducting, the more you realize... T conducting is leading conducting is teaching yes. Yes. teaching is conducting teaching is leading oh, and um, yes thank you yes actually no, I mean, just, amen because that's yeah. like we 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 actually just finished i'm not sure if you know this we just finished two episodes on servant leadership as choral conductors and music educators and i mean we just phil and i just couldn't agree more that a conductor is a teacher is a leader is a conductor is a leader is a teacher yes. is a leader is a teacher is a conduct i mean these yes. things are inextricable from one another yeah i agree so that all led me to send an email to someone at eastman to ask about their new their brand new degree um i was in the first cohort there and uh i don't regret it at all it was fantastic mm. much better than getting a doctorate Yes, although <laughs> possibly more rigorous than a lot of uh, yes. <laughs> uh, doctoral yeah. programs. So. Right. And I mean, yeah I, mean, yeah, I saw you go through that program. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing what you were doing. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about what some of what was involved in, in your training in music mm -hmm. leadership. But I think I want to talk, Jeanette, a little bit about um, you mentioned that you have worked as a musician, especially in institutions, with, um, you know, with bosses of varying leadership abilities. And, you know, what I see most, of, most times in institutional situations, um, you have, on the one hand, you have what public schools tend to do, and that's a, someone who's trained in leadership but has absolutely no idea what the musicians are doing. They do not right. understand at all what musicians are doing. And then on the other side, you have what you typically see in higher education, and that is um, that the um, in higher education, you see a trained musician being put in an administrative role who has no <laughs> leadership background so tell us about why um, that how musicians who aspire to leadership can and what 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 are their avenues to pursue well I think musicians actually innately are well suited for leadership mm. um, I you know, and that's not just maybe, that's not just leadership within the arts, that's leadership across all sectors. Um, I couldn't agree more because I yeah. want Jeanette Labar to run for president. <laughs> I don't know about that. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's not get into politics. But, um, okay, so, you know, I think 
there are certain characteristics that musicians uh, learn, or traits or qualities, skills, mm -hmm. that's what I'm looking for, that, that musicians learn along the way through singing in choirs, through ensembles, mm -hmm. um, and that is, um, you know, attention to detail, um, being able to see the big picture, being able to communicate to an audience, mm -hmm. to a community, um, being able to read nonverbal <laughs> communication mm -hmm. off of people, uh, which is a really important skill in, in boring corporate meetings. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I think also being able to think strategically to be able to come into a moment anywhere you know along the path and say oh this is where we are to get there we should do these things mm -hmm. uh that that's a very um musical skill you know oh we're starting at rehearsal j this is the character i should be playing with um so i think a lot of those skills they just tie over naturally into leadership um, when they're recognized. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, sometimes I think musicians who maybe could learn more leadership skills, they, they often have those innate, innate skills, but they don't recognize them as leadership qualities, and they try mm -hmm. to come into leadership with head knowledge and um, over overthinking and overanalyzing and, uh, you know, those, if they would just step back and say, all right, what skills do I have that tie over directly into making this decision already, yes. you know. They're trying to develop them. a new skill set instead of transferring the skills that they already have. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so good. I've never thought about it that way before. I mean that's at least part of it there there certainly are i'm not saying that musicians uh, you know have all <laughs> the skills to be great leaders i think mm. uh a lot of musicians maybe would approach things a little over emotionally or a little sensitive <laughs> musicians <laughs> you know? over emotional never right so there's especially certain... the singers I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> ah, that's all right. I will. <laughs> we, you know, I mean, we should yeah. say, like, you've, you've alluded to um, your interest in orchestral and wind music. You are a trumpet, trumpeter, a trumpet player. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that was a the instrument. That, uh, yes, very. Yeah, that was the instrument that you did throughout your, your collegiate career, correct? Yep. And it's the instrument I still do. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I and you know, I do think, I mean, Jeanette doesn't have all of the, thankfully, all of the negative stereotypes of a trumpeter. Her, her ego actually is in check, <laughs> I think. So she's a well, rarity in the trumpet world. Yeah, I think my ego is in check because the trumpet is so hard. You know, it's, it's just so hard. I... I can't do it. I can't master it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. I played pretty well, but that's as much as I can say. <laughs> mm, but, yes. but, 
but I think the like the the desire to be humble it's I mean it's good for all of us because we talked about this before just um, I think we're gonna all be learning and growing in our voices or whether ensemble work there's always something there's always a new thing you can look at okay I match I mastered my this embouchure okay now you know <laughs> I need to get more legato or something. I don't know, whatever. You know, there's always something. <laughs> Spoken yeah. like a singer. We definitely, <laughs> yeah. we definitely know all of the intricacies yes. of right. trumpet playing. That was brilliant. I love it. Trumpeters never think about legato, Phil. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not, not necessarily in relation to embouchure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well. We... <laughs> I hear you, though, Phil. I'm, I'm trying. But go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what I want to know, Jeanette, is... Okay, so we are here on July 14, 2020. We are in the midst of a, you know, a truly unprecedented global pandemic um, he, here in the U.S. We are, you know, record infection rates. Um, you know, the, the United States... I think we can all admit has done a pretty poor job of controlling this pandemic, which has wreaked havoc on arts organizations. So, um, I mean, can you just tell us maybe from that 30,000 foot view, what have, how have arts organizations, artists, musicians, um, ensembles, whether institutional or professional, how have they adapted to this new and unprecedented situation? Yeah, it's been wild to watch so many organizations uh, try to adapt, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I think initially, well, first, first, let me say that I was reading recently that I think the majority of arts organizations, I think the average amount of revenue or security net that organizations have is about two months. Um, so we're, we're starting from there, right? I mean, certainly mm -hmm. some have far more and some have far less. Mm -hmm. um, and that varies by size of the organization as well. So it, of course, it's, it's just a very complicated conversation. Um, right. So there's that as a starting point, then you have the pandemic, which is just a tidal wave, you know, yes. <laughs> just a tidal wave hitting, hitting arts organizations. Um, so I think when the pandemic first hit, I remember, I don't know if I, either of you tuned in, but I remember the Philadelphia Orchestra coming on live streaming a concert to an empty hall. It was the full orchestra playing a Beethoven symphony, I believe. And, you know, they stood up at the end and to an empty hall, there's just no applause. They just looked mm. at the camera. And I, I later heard a podcast with the executive director of the Philadelphia Orchestra. And he said, yeah, overnight we became a media company, mm. you know, and it, um, it just really struck me. So I, I think that that's the first reaction that we had was, oh, my gosh, we have to go online or we're toast, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, so. You saw a lot of arts organizations just panic and, and boom, move online, right? And so then they realized, oh, shoot, we've had these media 
rights withheld. You know, our musicians haven't, because of the um, the unions and things. Mm -hmm. You know, orchestras and, and operas and a lot of arts organizations haven't allowed uh, recording of of concerts. So they don't necessarily have a backlog of of video that they can just put out there. Uh, the occasional, like the Berlin Philharmonic, has everything documented back to the '60s. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Lucky so there, yeah. And um, the Detroit Symphony has, you know, over the last few years, collected certain things. So there, there are some organizations, but so that's I think why we're seeing a lot of these pop-up concerts in the living room with the principal cellist mm -hmm. or you know uh, Herb Smith at the Ro Rochester Phil. I think every Wednesday or something, the Rochester Phil is doing. A living room series yeah, so yeah. Uh, just to try to connect with patrons um, and I think that those are all great things um, the other thing I've seen is just uh, a wait-and-see like mm -hmm. we're just gonna stop <laughs> and we're gonna <laughs> wait and see yeah. and I think that's where a lot of universities are uh, they're just waiting to see what comes down the pipe um, and I think in the case of the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra, like, like we were saying before the podcast, um, you know, they are kind of, they have to wait and see what yeah. Eastman does because they share the hall. So if Eastman Theater comes out and, and says that they're only going to limit to 25 people on stage, it's going to dramatically affect the Rochester Phil. So, you know, there, there's this mm -hmm. waiting period. Um, right. Yeah. Now, do you th do you see? Okay, are you frustrated by wait and see because you feel like this is a wasted opportunity for innovation, or do you understand wait and see because uh, the fact of the matter is that institutions and arts organizations are at the mercy of government mandates? I mean, here in New York, <laughs> where we 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 you know we really bore the brunt of the first wave of this pandemic, we've, we're, we're so scared that our leaders, I think rightfully so, are very cautious about reopening things. And so if Governor Cuomo won't allow more than 25 people in a room together, well, you know, it doesn't matter what the RPO or Eastman or the University of Rochester decides. They will have to abide by the law. Right. And... I mean, it's it's got to be incredibly frustrating for those arts organizations. Mm. I mean, it's, but it's also just kind of uh, the nature of the beast, you know. Uh, what else <laughs> can be done other than mm. wait and see? But yes. I, I, to your point about innovating, um, mm. absolutely, I think that is crucial right now and. I would love to see organizations not innovate just online, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I think a lot of organizations, their identity is tied to a building <laughs> or, <laughs> or to a facility. Yeah. You know, Philadelphia Orchestra, they play in the Kimmel Center, right. um, Lincoln Center, New York Phil, you know, they're mm -hmm. Carnegie Hall. So there's that aspect where it's hard, I think, for leaders to envision um, 
having an ensemble without the hall or so it's really an interesting time you know i would love to see organizations get creative if we're going to limit things to 20 25 people on stage well maybe we could get rid of the stage Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what what where can we go what can we do what does our community want from us um and i i think the answer might lie in the mission statement you know this is a phenomenal opportunity for people to go and check out their mission statements and see what is it that we do (laughs) what Mm -hmm. is it that we're trying to achieve here um how can we refocus on maybe a slightly different aspect of our mission so this is probably something that's really hard for performing arts especially Mm -hmm. because so much of their identity is performing for the people but so much of what arts arts organizations do and have been pushing for is community you know getting their voices heard in the community aligning their voices with what the community wants um this is a great opportunity to do some of those kind that kind of work um for educational institutions like roberts you know you have a mission statement i believe it's probably probably centered around performing and educating i would assume Mm -hmm. so what ways okay scrap performance for right now that word (laughs) educate that word educate i know i don't want to (laughs) i know but here's the thing if you do like if you really sit down and and if you not just you but you and your corral if you Mm -hmm. sit down and you talk about what are our weaknesses? What are, musically, what things do we need to improve upon? Um, what ways could we reach the community better besides just standing and singing? What, what are the things that my students need help with more than anything else during this time? And how can the choir meet those needs? And, and that's all probably hidden in your mission statement if you really go back and look at it. And the other thing that this kind of innovation does is it adds a, a new kind of value, to, you know, and you'll get to the end of this pandemic and you'll think, hopefully, <laughs> wow, we've grown so much as an ensemble. Now let's get back and sing. And then you might find that you don't want to do away with some of those amazing innovations. Um, I was listening to um, the Barnes Foundation. You know, they're a, they're a renowned gallery, art gallery in Philadelphia, and they, you know, they in a hurry jumped on the the media. You know, they they just jumped on YouTube and they started doing these. They they take one photo, one um, video of a famous artwork, and somebody would just critique it and talk about it for five or ten minutes, and those are all for free online. And you know, they're they're views are just skyrocketing and now they have online classes and their revenue is increasing because of those online classes and they're saying well we actually don't want to give up some of these things once the pandemic is over you know so i think it is an opportunity you just have to be willing to 
start over. <laughs> you know, you just have to mm -hmm. really just stop, go back to your mission statement and get creative. And I would encourage everyone to not do it alone. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, talk to other teachers, talk to your students, talk to your your musicians and your ensembles and say, what are your ideas? Where do you see our weaknesses? And it's it's just, it's going to be, if it's done well, it, it can, I think, have huge, a huge positive impact on the community, not just mm -hmm. online, but on uh, in, in your local community and for your students. You know, you've, you've been um, going to innovation. And I think this, this situation, as you said, is causing us to do maybe some innovation, innovating that we may have, all, we needed to do already. Yes. Like, what do you, like, what do you think about that as far as like, you know, maybe we should have, maybe there should have been a, an already kind of cycle of, like evaluating and um, that we should have been doing that we were not doing before. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think the corporate world is particularly good at this. You know, mm -hmm. uh, if you think of Apple, Amazon, I mean, all they do is innovate and they go, oh, I don't like this function on the Apple Watch. Let's change it, you know? <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, yes. And Or do you remember back when Facebook the first time they changed the news feed like mm -hmm. everybody just was so upset you know and now right. they're constantly changing things and nobody even notices like right yeah. my facebook news feed just changed this week and i'm like oh it's different you know where before <laughs> <laughs> before everybody was just so like why is this in a different place you know right. um right. <laughs> so ideally change takes place over time and it's done with mass amounts of communication and um it's a slow burn you know mm -hmm. and that that's all important because we don't especially in the arts we're so sensitive you know we don't <laughs> we don't want to step on toes and hurt feelings mm -hmm. um i was speaking to a friend of mine um who is active in the opera world and she just said you know yeah, the opera is on fire right now and we're just going to let it burn for a while. So <laughs> to to your point, Phil, you know, not that she wants to see her friends and colleagues lose their jobs and, and all that. She's, she wasn't being insensitive in that way, but the she was saying that the things that the, the wrongs that the opera world has mm -hmm. encountered she wants to see those things burn and she wants to see innovation. She wants to, you know, um, it, it's just a great time, time for that. I think, you know, when you think about Leonard Bernstein and the educational s series that he used to put on with the New York Philharmonic, there was all this debate at the time about, should we go on television? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a live performing ensemble it's better in person do we really want to be on tv i think we're in some ways the orchestra is facing that again mm. how do you be culturally relevant um if you're not going where the people are you know and the people are on the internet the numbers are staggering i mean especially mm. since the pandemic 
I mean, they're not in the concert halls. We know that. Well, obviously, yes, but I mean the the numbers. Like, if you look up the numbers for the the hours of uh, right, that people right. are sitting and watching YouTube videos went up twenty five percent. Wow. We're already talking billions of hours. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, okay, so. Jeanette, how do organizations? Because I'm, I'm so with you, and I think we're we're talking a little, we're gearing our conversation a little bit more toward professional arts organizations right now. Educational organizations are a little, a little bit. They have their own unique challenges, right? But sure. How do the professional institutions we love, professional arts organizations we love, survive during this time? Innovate, yes, you've already said, yep. but how do they monetize that innovation? Right. Because, right. I, I mean, just with so many of our arts organizations are completely dependent on ticket sales. Right. And unfortunately, that is a fact. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I think the stat is 60% of most orchestras' revenue comes from ticket sales. Wow. Um, and, and in some instances, it's higher than that. You know, they, they really rely on, on ticket sales. And then the other percentage is usually grants and gifts. Mm -hmm. um, and the other, you know, thing besides revenue here is the, the gifts, you know, where are donors going with their money right now? Maybe not right. to arts organizations as much. Uh, mm -hmm. We know from the 2008 recession that actually... I was reading some study back in my degree that um, actually donors continued to give to the arts during during the pandemic or not during the recession. Um, mm -hmm. So we can maybe have some hope that they will continue to do that uh, yeah. through the pandemic. But I, if I were a donor, I would be considering should I give my money to an organization that. Maybe there's not so much hope this time that, <laughs> that they'll mm. survive, you know. Um, sorry to be blunt, but uh, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's heartbreaking. It, it really is heartbreaking. Yeah, and so I, I think along with the innovation, you're right, comes that question of um, how, do we, how do we make money here? And I've seen a lot of the publishing companies going toward streaming mm -hmm. You know, uh, you pay a subscription, not streaming, you pay a subscription and yeah, they will yeah. send you X number of downloads or whatever, um, which is good because it, you know, we don't need as many workers, but it's bad because we don't need as many workers and the unemployment yes. rate goes up. It's a, it's a cycle. The economics of it all is very mm -hmm. difficult. Um, but if you can answer that question about revenue, Adam, you're hired. <laughs> I, I cannot, sadly. I cannot. Yeah. You know, I, I'm wondering if this is the time for small organizations to really make it. You know, mm, yeah. uh, the solo, ones that are already so lean. Solo chamber groups. Yeah. Um, People love going, you know, small gatherings in a in a big living room, paying a hundred dollars a ticket to to hear a string quartet. Um, mm -hmm. There's already a lot of that going on prior to the pandemic, and I I can see 
maybe the arts being really relevant and successful in those venues. Um, but I don't have an answer, of course, for the larger organizations like operas and, uh, but it's going to be fascinating to watch and see what kind of innovation does happen because I think, as I was saying earlier, musicians are the best at innovating and mm. once something catches on and once somebody finds a solution, it's going to, it's going to happen. It's going to take off. I hope, you know, that's the hope. Yeah. Um, do you have any, so this spring when we all sheltered in place, um, you know, a lot of arts organizations, um, did just go to the wait-and-see model. And now, with the pandemic spiking again, it looks like <laughs> they, if, they, if they wanted to continue waiting and seeing, they're going to be waiting a considerable amount of time. So what would be your advice for one of those organizations that basically ceased functions and now needs to pivot to this new reality? Um, just, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, oh, so hopeful. <laughs> it, I think all you can do is experiment. Um, is there saturation in the online sphere or do you think there was that's saturation where all of us need to move? No, I think there was saturation before the pandemic. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, you know, on, on one hand, yeah, it's it's totally saturated. On the other hand, Facebook ads and, and the price of things has dropped mm. hugely. The price of marketing has come down significantly. Um, I was reading something about the Minnesota Orchestra, and they, um, you know, they they've actually increased their their reach through yeah. ads and things. Mm -hmm. um, it's all online, but that might provide a little bit of hope for the future when, you know, when things get back. If they get back, then they'll have that many more people on their mailing list. Um, so in that sense, they're, you know, they're, they're innovating <laughs> they're they're mm -hmm. expanding their reach and they're thinking ahead um and i'd love to see organizations uh colleges universities doing that kind of work as well i mean this is a great time to recruit if nobody's going to <laughs> mm -hmm. come this year maybe you could get twice the number next year you know mm. um and thinking along those lines um is certainly one approach but it takes mm -hmm. uh it takes thinking ahead yes. i liked what you said about the need for experimentation i think this is where we musicians are at a real disadvantage um because you know you you mentioned the the corporate world the technology world you mentioned facebook introducing the revamped news feed however many years ago and the advantage of facebook introducing the news feed is that you know 
12 to 18 months before they release it to the public, they're doing focus groups and beta testers. And, you know, like they have all of this data to, to fine tune their product prior to its release. And we as musicians, we simply don't have, we don't have the resources to accomplish that even during normal times nor do we have the hours available, the, the urgency of moving our business into, you know, an, a completely different operating model is so <laughs> extreme that I think we just, we do things without any assurance whether they'll be successful. Right, yeah. What is the return on your investment, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's scary. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm, a, I'm not an, you know, a, a, an arts organization leader except at my tiny little school and my tiny little church. Um, but, you know, even then it's scary because it's like, well, okay, I'm going to put in all of this work. I'm going to give my 100% to this thing that could so easily flop mm -hmm. because I've never done it before. I've never seen it done before. I've, you know, that's, that's a scary place to be. I, and my stakes are low because I'm pretty sure I'm going to keep collecting a salary. You yeah, know, yeah. If, if my <laughs> choir doesn't adapt to the online environment, well, I'm pretty sure they'll keep me around until I can start doing it in person again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there are some things you could do at low cost. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I was saying before, don't do this by yourself. No, you don't have yes. time, you know, but you have 45 students at your disposal mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> who can put together a survey on SurveyMonkey and for free, ask your mm -hmm. entire email list, the entire email list at Roberts, mm -hmm. if they would tune in on a Saturday, on a Sunday afternoon for whatever. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think there are ways, there are free resources, plenty, especially with the internet, um, mm -hmm. that can allow you to experiment. And, and part of the experimentation can come with little focus groups you can pull together 10 people from the community and say what did you think of this video find someone else who's mm -hmm. doing it have them watch it did you like that what would your response be if we did something like that um so i you know yes it is different it's not standing in front of a choir and teaching them <laughs> the solfege, mm -hmm. you know right, right. to to a song it's it's a totally different totally different way of operating you're right and it is heartbreaking and it's heartbreaking in a sense but it's exciting in a sense too because i think as phil was maybe directing us uh it maybe it's past time hmm. you know that we have that we actually listen to our community and we actually find out what would you like us to sing? <laughs> How can we represent you? Um, would you? Why aren't you coming to our Sunday afternoon concerts? It, mm -hmm. What 
do you need to know before you come? Yeah. What yeah. questions do you have for us? You know, I, I just think we are so behind in some of these things where, yes, Apple has billions of dollars to put toward those, uh, to all that data collection, and they can just, they're, they're spying on me right now. <laughs> right, right. You know, they, we don't have that capability for sure, but we certainly have people and skills that mm-hmm. that we could be utilizing. And, and uh, so I think in some ways this is going to force us to do those things that we should have been doing anyway. Oh. Amen. Yes. I love that. Oh. Yeah. Phil, do you have any other questions for Jeanette? I, I think the one last thing, I mean, you maybe you wrap this up pretty well, but the I, I have here like the idea of traditional versus, mm-hmm. you know, as we come, as we, you know, as we look to pass the pandemic, like how do, you know, maybe because like you were saying, um, we don't want to, you don't want to lose that connection that you've made. What, like, what are you seeing? Have people started thinking about you know, how do we do this post-pandemic? Yeah, uh, I mean, I love orchestral repertoire. I, mm-hmm. I'm i someone who, I don't want to see the canon <laughs> change. <laughs> I love Beethoven symphonies. Yeah. You know, should we incorporate more voices into that? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, I don't want to see... A performance of Beethoven seven or Mahler five with twenty five people, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I want to see the full orchestra. Um, yes. I and it would just break my heart to to not have that. Um, so yes, I I I think we're we'll get through it. I don't think that at the end of this pandemic we're gonna not have any orchestras around in the United States. If, if that happens, they'll start back up. Like yeah. there's, there's uh, mm-hmm. too many, far too many phenomenal musicians in this country and in this world mm-hmm. that I don't think are just going to say, Oh, I guess we're done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right, I, right. they're, they're resilient. We are resilient. And um, again, if you can take the long view say this pandemic lasts five years and every orchestra shuts down. Yes, it's a crying shame. I don't think it's the end of the orchestra. I, I really don't. Right, I hope, right, you know, um, I won't let it be, <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> yes. and I know I'm not the only one, uh, right. for sure. So you just have to uh, get over the panic and, and think, okay, five, ten years... What's what's the scenario? In that time, there's going to be more corporations making more and more money. There's going to be donors who've held on to their money because they don't know what the economy is going to do. Who all of a sudden are going to be like, oh, actually, I tripled my money during this time, and so here, you know, <laughs> there's there's always going to be people who give. There's always going to be people who want to listen. To classical music and there's always going to be people who want to perform um so it's just a matter of making it happen and mm-hmm. in that in the interim what can we learn mm-hmm. what how have we failed in the past and how can we make the appropriate changes so that five years from now when we come back we are twice as strong 
Yes. Jeanette, thank you. Thank you. This has been fun. I'm glad Talking with it. Phil is fun, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I miss Phil. I, I, I miss I miss you all too. I, I hate that I'm I'm not in Rochester, but I really thank you for for joining. Well, us. I mean, you wouldn't be able to see us anyway. We're all sheltering in true. place. It's true. <laughs> that is true. I have seen Adam one time for five seconds in my driveway. <laughs> That's right. So. And she had she was handing me things with I, a Clorox wipe in I her was. hand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, Jeanette, would you play along? We always end our podcast with two final segments the first is called current events corner where we reflect on a headline from recent days and the second is what did we learn where we where we you know talk about something that was mentioned during the episode so would you play along and join us absolutely beautiful phil how about you go first what's your current event okay i'll make this one quick but I don't know. Um, you both probably know the the actor Will Smith, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's married to Jada Smith. I don't know. Jada Pinkett Smith is her full yeah. name. There, there was a c- kind of controversy around Jada Smith and her uh, in her relationship with this musician. Um, and there was some there was some speculation that Jada and this musician had had a relationship. And um, yes, very, very, very spicy. And so Friday, Jada and Will released a video talking about that. And uh, she basically admitted to having this relationship. And I I was listening to some people talk about it. And they were some people, I I think some people had some pretty constructive things to say that, um, you know, we look to celebrities to to, as gurus of everything that we need in Mm. life, like that they can mm-hmm. answer all our questions. And I, I mean, and I've always like questioned that, like why, why, do, why do I need Steve Harvey to give me advice? I don't, you know, but. Um, Steve Harvey. But, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because of guy. his credentials, of course. Because <laughs> he's so funny. Yes. yes, because he's so funny. That's why we need him. But, but, um, but I think that was, that was one thing that I thought was brought up and we, we should be asking that question. But also for me as a Christian, um just the 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 messiness of relationships not just marriages but of any relationship sometimes and working through that and the grace to do that um Mm. is so important like giving each other grace and and it's not easy it's not it's not something fun i i don't i don't want to go through that as a married person i don't i I would not want i don't want to put my wife through that um Mm. and so you know, I, I, I think it it's hard, but being seeing them talk about it and uh, and maybe and they probably didn't talk about it perfectly. That was some other thing people were saying that she really she never said she was in a relationship or that she cheated. She called it an entanglement. And um <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, that's kind of a euphemism, but you know but <laughs> sounds like a cop out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> Yeah, so that that was that's that's kind of, that's probably still brewing a little bit uh, around around mm. the internet. So, hmm. wow, yeah. good reflections, Phil. How about you, Jeanette? Um, I saw that. Uh, well, okay, I'll pick one. 
Um, apparently, the Rochester International Airport might be yes. naming the airport after Frederick Douglass. I heard about yes. this. What do you think about this? Are you in favor? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. I think it's, you know, especially, I don't know if you all heard that, I'm sure Adam did, but Phil, I don't know if you heard that they, somebody dumped the stack or got mm-hmm. rid of the Frederick Douglass statue in Rochester. Yeah, one of them, entirely, right. Yeah, right. I'm not entirely sure what happened to it, but, um, so I think this is a nice response to that. Right. Yeah. And for our non-Rochesterium listeners, right. Rochester was the home of Frederick Douglass, yes. right. um, who I hear is getting more and more recognition these days. Yeah. <laughs> yes, as he should. I mean, well-deserved. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I, think, I think it's great. Well, good. Not having thought very, through it, you know, I haven't yes. spent hours thinking about it. But. Right. No, I'm, I'm generally yeah. in favor of it, too. In fact, a, a yeah. pilot friend of mine sent me a link about that petition. Uh, and, I, yeah, I'm totally on board. I live very close to the airport, as you both know. And <laughs> I'd love to live next to the Frederick Douglass International, International Airport yeah, of Rochester. It's, so it's, I think if they do change the name of the that. airport, though, they're going to have to. They named it the Greater Rochester International Airport when it actually did have international flights. Mm-hmm. Right. But now that it is not, if they did change the name, do you think they'd have to do truth in advertising and make it the Frederick Douglass Regional Airport? Probably. Or just Frederick Douglass Airport. As long as the uh, the acronym doesn't change, ROC. Yeah, I, it needs is to kind stay of, rock. I agree. So much yeah. of what the city is about is ROC. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, my my uh, my current event is also travel related somewhat, and that is just today it was announced that the border, the Canadian border, would remain closed through August 21st. Um, And that reminded me of a headline that I'd seen earlier this week, which, you know, the the United States, we as as American citizens were very fortunate to have a very powerful passport, right? We have visa-free travel to over 180 nations worldwide. Um, And there are a few passports that are more powerful than the American, like the Japanese and the South Korean, um, they're just better at making friends than we are. But, but the American passport is like a ticket to the world, really. Except, not now during this <laughs> pandemic, no. where our passport now ranks with a passport from Uruguay. <laughs> we now have access to the same number of countries as citizens of Uruguay. Wow. Yeah. Which I don't need to remind anyone it's a third world country. So way to go, America. Proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's my current event. (laughs) Yeah. Phil. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Phil. Mm -mm, Go ahead. No, no, no. Oh, I was just going to ask to move us along. Yeah. So we don't waste anyone's time. What did you learn this week you know so the one the thing that i learned from Jeanette is um to look 
to look at the you look at your current skill set and mm. um, ask, do you have the skills already? You know, start there. So that was a that was a great. Yes, I th thank you for that, Jeanette. What I learned from you, Jeanette, is um, to see our present circumstances as an opportunity. Um, I, and I don't think I'm unusual in this, but I have just grieved so much over the past few months, all of the sacrifices we've had to make mm -hmm. um, that I probably have failed to see some of the opportunities for innovations, not only that will get us through this pandemic, but innovations that will make us better at what we do post-pandemic, the innovations that will stick. So thank you for challenging me to think about those things. You're welcome. Jeanette, did you learn anything this week? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Over the past hour. <laughs> I, I learned that I enjoyed, I, this is my very first podcast. Woohoo! And this is, this was fun for me, yeah. Yeah! No, I'm, I'm very glad you enjoyed the experience. Uh, I will speak for myself. I enjoyed having you as our very first interview. I've been honored. It was an honor. Yes. yes. How about you, Phil? Did you oh. have a good time? Yes, I definitely enjoyed it. Glad, glad you are our first interview. Very informative and yes. a friend. And that's my dog in the background. <laughs> Someone's delivering mail, probably. Anyway, <laughs> Phil, Jeanette, anything else for the good of the order? No. I, I would say everyone, check us out. Find us. If you have a comment, please, please send it. And if it is towards Jeanette, we'll forward it to her. And, yep. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, then, with that, I'll say be quiet. <laughs> anyway, Let's I will see. say bye for now. Adios. Hello, listeners. If you would like to reach out to Jeanette, her email address is J-A-N-E-T-T-E -T -T -E period L-A-B-A-R-R-E at gmail.com. Again, that is Jeanette period Labar at gmail.com. Mm -hmm.